Dear Basketball, From the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots in the Great Western Forum, I knew one thing was real. I fell in love with you. A love so deep, I gave you my all. From my mind and body to my spirit and soul. Cast listeners, this is Eggy with you, with Ian and Mike. We're a little subdued this evening. It's a sad day, a shocking day, a very strange one, uh, mourning the loss of a very important character, not just in the sports world, but in popular culture and beyond, Kobe Bryant. Uh, his passing was, again, a shocking thing that we're all kind of digesting right now. Um, I'm sure... Like if you were like us, you've spent a lot of time watching ESPN and other news outlets to get uh, you know information about it, but also reliving some of his greatest moments in the Lakers uniform. So this is kind of where we lead off today, guys. All I know is that my first thought and everything that I've talked to, it's affecting me like viscerally more so than I thought this something like this would. I don't know the man, but there's something very like I don't know. Yeah. About it. Same. Right? It's like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to feel. But, like, it's definitely affecting... It's shaking me up more than I thought it would have. If you were just, like, hypothetically posed, like, what if Kobe Kobe Bryant tragically passed away? I would have been like, man, that would be crazy. That would suck. But, like, it's shaking me up more than just that. It's hard to describe. It's kind of weird. The timing of Kobe Bryant's career was our childhood mm-hmm. through our teenage years. He won a, uh, his last championship our senior year of high school. So it, I think that's probably why it's affecting me so bad. We've gotten to almost know this guy through the years, yeah. or at least it feels that way. So now that he's gone, it's just like, whoa, like no more Kobe in our lives at all. Like I know he just retired, and we, we kind of had to deal with that as a sports fan as well, but mm-hmm. like a, a a life taken off this earth is just kind of like, kind of heartbreaking, really. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and think of like the proximity that we've had, not to him the person, like we don't know him, we've never come across him, but I mean, one of the best highlights that we love from Kobe, from being in high school, for instance, is playing at Hershey Park Arena. Right. It's playing at the Palestra. Those are all places that we went to when we were kids and now at this age. It's him going to Larry's across the street from St. Joe's. You it's know, him playing I, at Martall. It's him. Mm-hmm. It's playing at Martall, and it's Kobe Bryant Gymnasium at Lower Marion High School. Yeah. You know, I pass Lower Marion every day when I go to school. So there's that proximity part of it, and then also, I think among the greatest, you know, there are so many disservices that this is going to create, and the effects are going to be kind of widely known as the time goes by. But what I've been doing watching Kobe today is watching. This sounds weird, but just looking at his face and watching his eyes, watching his scowl that he had. I really am struggling to find other players, especially in the NBA, or people like him that are playing at a high level that had that kind of personality, that had that kind of mentality, 
the intensity, just the absolute hate me or love me, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I can to be the best because it's not written in stone. I'm going to I'm going to etch it myself no matter what you say, no matter what you do. You just don't find that and it's so sad I look at young people. They're going to miss him. They're not going to be able to see him and be able to to learn how to emulate that. Mm-hmm. I think people are going to miss that. Luckily technology is to the point where kids are going to be able to go on YouTube and and watch sure. the legend yeah. perform, but you're right. They're not going to see that when they turn on a live NBA game, you know, that tenacity, that fire, that competitiveness that we loved about Kobe. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, one memory I have of Kobe is him scolding his his Lakers teammates for, like, dancing at practice when they were horrible towards the end of his career. What was that, Nick Young <laughs> dancing at practice or something? Like, mm-hmm. that's what I love about Kobe. He was like, no, guard me one-on-one right now. Like, we're going hard right now. Like, we're de- we're bad. So even towards the end of his career, he was very competitive. and Yeah. There's just so many memories over the years of Kobe just absolutely dominating games. And uh, it's it. I feel bad for the next generation. They're not going to have a, anyone like Kobe. They're going to no. be guys that are more LeBron-esque. They like the way they look. They dress funny coming into the arena. There's a lot more to the big picture for them than there was for Kobe. It was mm-hmm. like, Kobe's like, I'm going to come here, I'm going to destroy my competitor, and I'm going to win. Yeah. I mean, there were certainly times, too, in his career where it could have debated, like it made sense for him to try to seek out of L.A. and go somewhere else, but that just wasn't him. He was just, he wasn't leaving, which that doesn't exist anymore. So Right? Like, people chase championships now. Kobe chase championships in a much different way and that he was just going to work harder and get his team to a point where they were just going to win. So he scored 2,883 points at Lower Marion High School right here in Philadelphia, which is a state record. He was drafted at a high school. Was he the second one drafted at a high school? I think Garnett was first, right? Uh, I think there were, no, there were a couple guys them. before them. Yeah. yeah, but he was drafted at a high school, which is one of the, one of the first people to to do that. He was the youngest person to ever play an NBA regular season game when he played. Which is insane. And um, it took him a couple years to get his feet wet and win a championship. Shaq came over. They beat the Pacers in 2000. They beat the Sixers, which is probably, you know, the memories I think of Kobe is him That's demolishing yeah. every team in the playoffs that year with the sweeps until mm-hmm. the Sixers got there. And the Sixers won game one with Iverson. Tyron Lowe shut down. Iverson. Yeah, he did. Well, after that. that. That's such a bullshit story. It's like Tyrone Lue shut down Iverson. Yeah. Kobe and Shaq went off. Like, it wasn't. The story shouldn't be that AI was shut down, in my opinion. But regardless, (laughs) um, they they won the. I knew that was was going to get something out of him. I knew I was going to get something out of him. Now, Kobe, you grew up in Philadelphia. Your dad played for the 76ers. You practiced with the Sixers as a youngster, but you said your favorite player was Magic Johnson. Is this difficult or exciting for you to play the Sixers? It's exciting. You know, it's, uh, it's nice to be in the NBA Finals and you know, have an opportunity to play against a team like Philadelphia. It's kind of a part of history. You know, it's a big tradition with the Lakers and the Sixers back in the day, and we're just a part of it. They won their three-peat the next year over the Nets in four. And then it took Kobe seven years to win without Shaq. Yeah. He won two in a row in 2009 and then 2010. So it's kind of an interesting career path. He had 18 All-Stars, 
He was the finals MVP twice. He won one league MVP. MVP. Um, so, uh, yeah, he had an, an unreal career. He only won one MVP. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, two-time finals. I thought he was a seven-time all-star. Yeah, we'll fact check you after the show. But I read eight, 18. Oh. Huh. Yeah, I think it was 17. Yeah, I mean, I had in my bedroom growing up, I had a closet basketball hoop. Like a lot of people did, actually, I had two on two different doors. Made it like a little full court action. But I also, the way I set my room up, my interior design abilities as a child, was pretty sweet. I hung jerseys, like they were hung from the rafters. I had a Dan Marino jersey. I had a Michael Jordan jersey, Penny Hardaway Magic jersey, and a Kobe jersey. That was it. Had Kobe shoes growing up as a kid. My actual, my favorite shoes ever to play sports in were Kobe 4s. Thank They're you. awesome. Yeah, yeah. low top fours. I had black and white ones. First time I ever dunked a basketball on town foot hoop was in Kobe Force. Legendary shoe. Probably like a 9 8 hoop. No, I was in Trinity High School gymnasium. <laughs> Sick. So, well, obviously, I was a huge Sixers fan, so I, I wasn't a Lakers fan. But I also loved Shaq growing up. So, once Shaq went to the Lakers, I started watching them more and rooting for them more. And um, I actually became a fan of the Lakers, which is... Hell yeah, dude. I was a huge Lakers fan growing up. Yeah. I'm never going to deny that. I've always liked the Lakers because of Shaq and because of Kobe. Yeah. And Rick Fox, but mostly Shaq and Kobe. I had an awesome yeah, poster. Really I think cool. I think your cousin, Lee Acosta, like, actually gave me this poster, funny enough. Uh, it was like a black background, and all the Lakers were on it. It was like that team. It was Eddie Jones, uh, Derek Fisher, Kobe Bryant, Shaq. Devin George. Yeah, it was an awesome team. And I, I can vividly remember that poster hanging up in my Meadowview house yeah. in my bedroom. Bobby for a deuce, and the win, he got it! Guess what? He got it with six tenths of a second to play! Hey, that's the guy you want shooting it. Shaq and Kobe were able to, and I still was a Sixers fan, but they were able to convert a Sixers fan to a Lakers fan for a certain amount of time there in the, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. I remember watching the uh, 2010 Lakers finals in your basement growing up, and it was an interesting series because Kobe Bryant had lost to the the Celtics in 2008, and now this was his rematch in 2010. He had a broken finger, and he was playing Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett. He had Bynum and Pau Gasol and Lamar Odom, but it was a pretty awesome finals, and they got it done. It was pretty impressive for Kobe to get one more, squeeze one more out in 2010. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. What's your all-time favorite Kobe moment? That's tough, man. Yeah. Mine is probably, and I would have to go back and look up, so if you want to fact check me, fact check me. I think it was the second round of oh the playoffs God. against the Phoenix Suns. Don't think it was elimination game again. I could be wrong. It might have been. But long story short, Kobe basically just like willed his team quick comeback at the end of the game. Made a great play to go into overtime. Then in overtime, there was a, I guess it was a jump ball. So they tipped it up at half court with like five seconds left maybe. And obviously they put the ball right in Kobe's hands. And Kobe just, I mean, Kobe. And just went down, hit a shot in the elbow. A one-point game. Walton can tip it. Bryant with the save. Oh, you got to get a shot here. Final seconds. Bryant for the win. Bang! 
And then you saw him go, that's heart, and pound his chest, and he pulled his shirt over. <laughs> he could, like, see his, like, fucking huge peck, and he was like, <laughs> woo! He just, like, flexed on the whole world. It was awesome. It was so cool. It was just like, was cool. like, how do you not, if you play sports, or you have a freaking ounce of competitiveness in your body, you have to see that and just, like, admire it. You have to love it. Yeah, he I mean, he's a, it's not, I mean, there maybe are two other humans in the world like him, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. Yeah. Like, there's not many people that are that breed. Everyone wants to emulate that. Everybody wants to be that. But, like, Kobe is different yeah. than everybody else. He's different than LeBron. He's different it, than Kawhi, I think. Like, he was just, he was better. He was well, just different. With Kobe, too, it's not like he was, like, Allen Iverson, where it was just, like, God-given talent. Iverson wasn't a freaking worker. Yeah, like he was in the gym putting Always. in work, and like that's why it like that passion to go and do that for that many years is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, and to be able to play at that level and and again time and time again go toe to toe, look you in the eye and say it's me or you, and it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. I think that's from a competitive standpoint, like like your opponent, it distances you from the opponents, right? Like, you're better than them, but it endears you to them as well. So someone like Matt Barnes, for instance, I'm thinking my oh, favorite, Matt, oh my God. My favorite Kobe so moment. Cool. And and I just coincidentally, <laughs> like, three days ago, I was, like, laying in bed before I went to sleep watching this. And I can't remember, remind me, who was Matt Barnes playing for at the time? Orlando was Magic. It, was it the Magic? Time. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so, you know, this is Barnes going back and forth with Kobe Bryant. The ball is getting taken out of bounds by Barnes. And he does, among other things, a nice big fake in Kobe's face. Like Guy, from his face. Guy just didn't flinch. Yeah, just okay. to have him not move at all. And, and the announcers, Van Gundy and uh, you know <laughs> the other it. guys were calling on ESPN. They're like, Kobe Bryant didn't even flinch. That's the best play of the game. <laughs> and that, to me, was so cool because it just spoke to how much he really got under the skin of the people he played against because he got so close to you and went toe-to-toe. But, like, you knew that Matt Barnes kind of, like, attached himself to Kobe in that way mm-hmm. forever. Because right. like, you hear Matt Barnes talk about him now, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's just mad respect. There was a special that I think was on ESPN yeah, or something. That's how I know more about it, right? Like They, became, they became close friends Dude, after. Was, a couple days ago cool. I saw too, because I guess it was the anniversary of Kobe's 81, and I saw on social media a commercial where Jalen Rose, who was a guy who was guarding Kobe for most of those 81, <laughs> Jalen like walks into a restaurant, and you hear Kobe from the back row, oh, Jalen, what's up, man? And Jalen's just like, oh, no. Hey, Kobe, how's it going, dude? <laughs> Meanwhile, the waiter comes over and is like, hey, Mr. Bryant, what can I get for you? And he's like, I'll take a martini, however he orders it. And he's like, how many olives do you want in that? And Kobe goes, 81? <laughs> just like a jab on Jalen Rose. Yeah. <laughs> There's like so many people that like were left in Kobe's wake that like, just yeah, like- Jalen Rose is like known for the Fab Five and getting <laughs> 81 put on him. Just their souls the are known. Right. What about Yao Ming? We were watching some of the yeah. highlights, and Yao Ming got, like, blocked by him, right. dunked on him. Like, it was bad. Dude, not to mention, <laughs> this man won an Academy Award. He was an Oscar winner. Yeah. It was one of the best short films. I mean, I'm a huge animated short film guy. I own <laughs> all of them. I've got, like, in my um, iTunes library, I think I have, like, I think I have 12... Oscar-winning animated short films. I love them. Yeah, we were watching them that one time. And that, oh, I uh, you're kidding. No, I'm serious. I got a ton of them. Feast is by far the best one. Well, I was telling you about. But, did you see? Did you see the ones I told you about? Logo Rama and Black Rider. 
No, I actually haven't seen either of those. I watched those. So, yeah. so Kobe's short film now becomes even more legendary. It does, yeah. And it's like more important. Right. But it's like it's like weird now because it was at the end of his retirement. The end, it like fades to a white sky pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now it's like be. angelic. We both know. No matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds from the clock. Ball in my hands. Five, four, three, two, one. But Kobe, back to him, like being a gym rat, he he emulated his game off Jordan. Uh -huh. And I think that was another thing that was so special about Kobe to me was, you know, I have some memories of Jordan. They're some of my first basketball memories. Beating the Jazz in the finals is literally one of my first memories of my entire life, pretty much. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a 9-11 moment, like where I was, I remember. Yeah. That. So, Jordan retires, he comes back on the Wizards for a little bit, but we then get to see a very special player in Kobe who emulated himself off of Michael right. Jordan the best. So, like, we get to see some of those same moves, and mm -hmm. something about that was very special to me, too. And, and that said, I mean, look at what Jordan has done since he retired from basketball. Now he's done a debatable job with the Charlotte Hornets, but I think he was um, Charlotte Business Journal's Businessman of the Year at one point. Like, point is he worked for the game of basketball beyond his playing days. Shaquille O'Neal is doing a lot of stuff outside of basketball now that he's done. He's a good example. I think Kobe was like going to do a lot more. Yeah. Definitely. And I think he, like, as a player, that was scratching the surface of what he could have offered the sports world and the world of basketball, I which mean, is why I, it's so devastating. I couldn't agree more. And something that he was currently doing that I really loved was were those Kobe breakdown things mm -hmm. that oh I know I got too. Yeah, those are so He's awesome. He's so smart. Fuck. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. You don't even realize everything that he's doing. Right. It really, right. It really is. And you alluded to it, Mike. He was a renaissance man. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy was multilingual. He traveled the world even before he played basketball. He wrote children children's books. He produced and, and wrote movies. He he was just a brilliant guy. Mm -hmm. And God, man, it's also that's another reason why young people should really look at this because he just diversified his skill and his talent so wonderfully that you know all these kids want to do now is just just play and look cool. And I sound like such an old. The man Luca right thing now. was so cool the other week. I guess. Kobe was sitting court. Oh time. yeah, that was really cool. Luke that was, was like, awesome. Yeah, he's like, I heard someone speaking my language. I turned around. And it was yeah, <laughs> it was Kobe. what the heck? Like that's incredible, man. Yeah. And and it was his daughter that was with him. Yeah. Yep. Like, and that's the other crazy imagine. part about this is he's been in the media like within the past couple days yes. because yeah. of LeBron, LeBron passed him. His 81, 81 anniversary, like it all like was in the past three days. It's crazy. I find a little bit of solace in that the Eagles got a Super Bowl for him a couple years ago in 2017. Oh my god! No, 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 no! Oh, thank god. Oh my god, yes, we won! We won the fucking Super Bowl! That's it! That's it! That's it! That's it! We fucking won the fucking Super Bowl! Oh my god! Oh my god! Big Eagles fan. So I'm glad the birds were able to, to do that for him while he was still living. Um, and that kind of leads right into 
this interview that I did with Joe Giglio from 94WIP, and the first topic we get into is the Eagles. So, you know, I think Kobe would say if he were still here and in this room at the Johnson Pub, I would I would think he would say, you know, this this train keeps rolling here. The game goes on. So I think he would like to hear about the Eagles. Uh, we get into all the teams, so it was good to get that perspective. I know we don't talk hockey, hockey, and uh, baseball much, but uh, yeah, let's introduce this this interview. So, anything else before we do that? No, thanks, Joe, for coming on. We we've, we've been trying to figure out if you know if we're gonna get the the fanatic and the WIP on. So this has been it's a good good first segue. And yeah, thanks for coming on. Yep. All right. Let's uh, let's hear the interview. All right, Brotherly Love Sports Podcast. We have Joe Giglio on the line from 94 WIP Evening Show, weekdays from 6 to 10 p.m. Joe, welcome to the Bro Love Cast. Happy to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. I was hoping to do a little State of the Union of all the Philadelphia sports teams. How do you feel about that? Let's do it. I'm excited. I'm excited to have this conversation. Awesome. So... Uh, we'll start with the Eagles. Obviously, a disappointing end of the season. Lots of injuries, possibly due to an aging roster. What were your biggest takes from the Eagles this season? Uh, yeah, the way I look at it is, it was in a lot of ways a lost season for the Eagles. You know, you think about the window to win, and I think every you know every kind of championship team has a a certain window, whether it's three years, five years. You know, it, it depends each team and how old they are, who the players are, but I, I think we're kind of right in the middle, uh, maybe probably tailing towards the end of this window of this Eagles group. You know, I think of Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Malcolm Jenkins, um, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Ertz. A lot of these guys have been around for a while. They're all about to be in their, you know, 30s. Um, so I, I don't think it's over. I don't think the window shuts next year, but I do look at it as a lost season. They had Carson Wentz healthy for the full year. Um, and, and they weren't able to win a playoff game. It's unfortunate what happened to Wentz in the playoff game because I think they would have won that game against Seattle and maybe had a chance to, to go play and, and, and give Green Bay a game in the second round. But I think the end of the season gave us some positive vibes about some young guys. But overall, it, it feels like they lost a year of this window uh, with this group to, to get back to another Super Bowl. And do you put a lot of the blame on Carson Wentz? I know he probably couldn't control that injury that occurred to him, but, you know, there seems to be like a 50-50 crowd on Carson Wentz still in Philadelphia, which surprises me. But what are your thoughts on Carson? I think he's a good quarterback. Um, I, I am not in the camp that he's a great quarterback. I'm not in the camp that he's an elite quarterback. I mean, he was at one in one brief moment in 2017. You can win with Carson Wentz. We've seen that. Uh, I mean, really throughout his career, I think he's good. I, I was really impressed with what he showed at the end of the season. Some leadership. Uh, I thought his play on the field was just, he was just better. I mean, the last two and a half games of the Dallas game uh, in Week 16 was one of the best games he's ever played, and he came out firing from the start. Wentz, end zone, pass, caught, touchdown, gutter. So I give him a lot of credit for the way he finished the season. Uh, but he has to be less up and down. Uh, I think that's the key for, for him moving forward. It's not a talent issue. Like, if you have a pair of eyes, you can, you can see Carson Wentz has talent, and he has the talent to be, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. It's just about consistency and doing it more. Like, 
can't have a game like the first Dallas game. You can't just have games like the Seattle game where, where he was just horrendous. Like that, those can't exist if the Eagles are going to win 11 or 12 games and, you know, be one of the best teams in the conference and, <clears throat> excuse me, get, get home playoff games and, and get by. So he has to refine his game. Um, I think at bare minimum he's going to be a good quarterback. I, I think the most important thing this year, though, was that he stayed healthy. He, he kind of crossed that off his list and he showed the Eagles, he showed us that, you know, he could be durable. I, I'm not going to knock him for the playoff thing. Like, you know, you get hit in the head, you, you have concussion protocol and they pull you off the field. That, that's not an injury prone thing. That's, that's more bad luck. But I give him a lot of credit for the end of the season. Um, I, he was clutch and he stayed healthy, you know, really the entire season. It's just he has to be more consistent if he's going to be a great quarterback. So uh, there's been a lot of talk of Patrick Mahomes, obviously, because he's headed to the Super Bowl with Big Red, Andy Reid. But there's been a lot of talk about the weapons on the Chiefs. Do you think if Carson Wentz had comparable weapons, even within a certain variance, do you think Carson Wentz has a way better year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, Yes, if he had better weapons, some guys would make some plays, some guy would take a screen and run 70 yards. I mean, you know, the, the better players around you, uh, the, the more productive you'll be. But I, I do think we we do need to, with that idea, and I, I know that's going to be a theme of the offseason, get Carson better weapons, and they need to, and they should. But I, I think we need to pump the brakes on assuming better weapons will definitely equal a lot better play. Because I, I keep bringing this up on, on my show, Carson played his best at the end of the season with practice squad guys. Wentz looking around in the end zone, throws in the back corner. It is a touchdown, Philadelphia! And it's Greg Ward, who has been the money man on this drive for the Eagles. Now, I- I'm not going to if those guys are great players. Now, I-, I think Boston Scott can play, and, and I think that um, Greg Ward could certainly be a piece in this team. But they didn't add pro bowlers. They didn't add what the Chiefs have, and yet they produced 400 yards offense in four straight games. Carson Wentz played his best football. So I'm under the belief if Carson puts the ball where it's supposed to be, and the offense works, um, it works better if he has great players around him, like we saw in 2017 where they had that loaded roster. But I, I think the offense and its execution is way more about Carson than it is about who's around him. Get him better players, but if Carson puts the ball where it needs to be and they get better players, that's that's the formula. It's not just put better weapons around him. I think if Carson plays exactly the same with better weapons, he's better, but he's still not great um, You know, because of the inaccuracies and inconsistencies. He's, he, if he puts the ball where it's supposed to go, I think the Eagles will score a lot of points You know, moving forward. All right, last question for the Eagles, and then we'll move on to the Sixers. Obviously, we still need an offensive coordinator here. Is there someone you'd like to see them bring in? And what are some of the other offseason moves that you're expecting? There's been some rumors about potential corners that we're interested in. Big offseason moves. What do you have? Yeah, well, it's, well, it's, a, it's a huge offseason. Um, as far as coordinators, well, a lot, a lot have gone off the board. I, I'm not sure if they don't want the Eagles or the Eagles don't want them. It's been very strained to the search. Uh, Mike Kafka was the name I thought of right away, and it seems like now Andy Reid wants to keep him as the quarterback's coach in Kansas City. I mean, Jim Caldwell seems like the obvious fit. His name was out there right away. He says he's healthy enough to work again. Um, I, I think there's what he's done in his career, you know, people say, well, he worked for Peyton Manning. I don't even count the Peyton Manning thing. Like, Peyton Manning is great if you or I worked with him. But he, he did get the most out of Joe Flacco. Like, the Super Bowl Joe Flacco was coached, offensive coordinator was, was Jim Caldwell. And he got two Pro Bowl years out of Matt Stafford. So, you know, he's worked with guys that have talent, 
maybe some flaws to their game, and, and I think and big arms. So I think there's a parallel there to Carson. So I, I would like Caldwell as this whole thing now, you know, kind of shakes out this way. And as far as offseason moves, look, the Eagles are going to have to hit in free agency because I think we've seen the track record of how we drafting is not great. And I think expecting their 10 draft picks to just come in and, like, you know, be stars right away is, is, is a lot to ask. So I think they're going to have to hit on two or three impact free agents. And they've had them in the past, like Brandon Brooks and Malcolm Jenkins, Connor Barwin. Uh, you know, they've done this before. And, and if they do that again – uh, like a Byron Jones or whoever, then they could, you know, they could be much better next year. So I, I think Byron Jones is the name to watch, and I'd be surprised if if the Eagles make a couple splashes in free agency. Awesome, thanks, Joe. So uh, moving on to the Sixers, a lot of new pieces this year, you know, and I understand that that takes time to mesh those pieces. We obviously lost a lot in Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick from last year, but. Disappointing start so far. Do you put a lot of that on Brett Brown? I put some of it on Brett Brown. Um, I, I do notice there's like the lack of energy night to night. Now they have it some nights. It's not like they, they don't try. Um, but but I think there's something. For the first time, I've, I've had concern about Brett Brown potentially losing their ear. I, I don't think it's an X's and O's thing. I don't think Brett is his fault. They, they can't space the floor. I think it's a roster construction thing more than Brett. The only thing I worry about is, does he have this team's ear? Are they still buying into his message and playing, you know, a thousand percent for him? So that that's that's the concern I have with Brett. As far as, you know, the reason they're not, you know, five or six games better, I think it's more about the roster construction than it is about Brett Brown's, you know, the, the plays he draws up. Okay, I could see that for sure. Um, I think another group of people that or maybe just two people that could get some blame for the disappointing start could be Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid injured again with the hand injury tore ligament and Ben disappointing because I know a lot of people want to see him grow that jump shot of his and we were hoping he'd take some big steps in the offseason. Shooter there's Simmons! Just did those two guys not take big enough steps in the offseason? They, they didn't. Um, and I, In fact, I would say just at this point of the season, I, I think it's fair to say that Ben has taken a bigger step. Neither have taken big enough steps, and Ben obviously is still missing that jump shot, but Ben's defense has grown. Uh, I think he's going to be a first-team all-defensive player, and, and he's showing a little bit more offense now in the last, you know, couple weeks with Joel Embiid out. So I think Ben, at least I can sit here and say Ben has grown a little bit. Look at him and say, sorry, Ben. I, I think Joel is the exact same player. Um, and, and I find myself frustrated with both of those guys. And, and maybe it's, it's a lack of patience on all our parts because they're still very young players and, and they're still younger than most you know, NBA champions uh, you know, end up being as, as the best player in their teams. But they need to be better. And, and Joel Embiid needs to grow up. Uh, it's it's I mean, that's, that's it. Like, if he, if he wants to be the best player on an NBA champion, like, I don't need Player Tribune articles. I, I don't need Instagrams with, uh, with Carl Anthony Towns or suspensions or being out of shape. Like, at some point, Joel's got to grow up. He reminds me, actually, of, of young Shaquille O'Neal, only he is doing this in the social media era. So, we, we, you know, we talk about everything he does. But if you, if you put a phone in, in Shaq's hand when he was 25, it probably would have been the same thing. So, yeah, I, I think 
a lot of it is on they're not ready yet, and then it's frustrating to kind of realize that when you watch them. Yeah, I was hoping Joel would clean it up and make his moves more crisp and be a more controlled player, and I'm with you. I think I think he didn't take enough steps in the offseason, and I don't know what it is. I watch Akeem Olajuwon highlights, and a lot of in a lot of ways they remind me of Joel, but clearly Joel is not, not there to that Hall of Fame level that Hakeem is. So uh, I hear you there, but are there some moves that you'd like the Sixers to take before the February 6th trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, they need uh, they need a, at least one uh, extra player, uh, if not two. It's, it's just a matter of how many they could get with the assets they have. It's not like when Sam Hinkie first left and there were, you know, first-round picks galore and, and, and tradable assets to get, you know, what they needed. They're probably going to need to make a trade, which I think they will make one trade, and then hope to get lucky in the buyout market the way they did a couple years ago when they got uh, Bellinelli and Ilyasova, which I mean, that, that really made a difference down the stretch for that team. Uh, the Derrick Rose uh, rumor that's out there is interesting because they don't really have a guy that can get to the basket for his own shot. You know, they have some guys that will take some threes like Cork Maz and uh, Mike Scott when he's, and he's been, not been good this year, but he certainly could hit some threes. But they don't have a guy that you just hand the ball to and, and they go to the basket and, and get it to points when, when you're kind of in a drought. But Derrick Rose can do that, and, and I think he'd be an interesting fit. I, I don't think it's a, it's a perfect thing, and it's a little scary because he's had so many injuries in his career. But I mean, the guy could score. I mean, he's been an MVP in the league. It's not, it's not very often a former MVP just lands on your team. So I, I, I think the Derrick Rose um, potential for a Derrick Rose move is, is probably the most interesting name I've heard so far, and, I, and I'd be on, on board with that, assuming you know it wouldn't cost them an arm and a leg. So what's up with Zaire Smith? Why is he not getting a shot to come off the bench for the Sixers? Yeah, you know, I, I think he just may not be ready. I mean, he lost the whole year uh, of development, and he was a, kind of a raw player anyway coming out of Texas Tech. It's interesting. I, I actually have, not that I understand what he's going through, but I have I have some sort of life experience with, with what he went through last year. He, yeah, he had a <clears throat> sesame allergy, which I, I guess, I mean, it was it was... It was serious. I mean, he was in. He lost a ton of weight, and he was in the hospital. My daughter, uh, my very young daughter, has a sesame allergy, so like I, I know what that could do to someone, and if they don't realize they have it or whatever, I don't, I don't know how it happened. So I almost look at him like he's still a rookie, and this happens to rookies sometimes. They don't get to play or they're not ready. Because I just I, I say last year was just wiped out because of what happened to his body, unfortunately. So I, I don't know if he's going to come up. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I do think based on his potential. And his skill set, if they land a Derrick Rose or, you know, whoever the, they're going to trade for one player. It's probably going to be uh, using Zaire Smith in the trade because he's probably one of the more tradable pieces. Okay, and let's do a speed round to close out here. The Flyers are in the sixth, are sixth in the Metropolitan Division. Are they a playoff team? Yes or no? Yes, I think they're going to make it. I think they'll close the season strong. I like uh, Elaine Vigneault, and I think he has the right temperament to get them across the finish line this year. I think, I think we'll get Flyers playoff hockey for the first time in a little while here. All right, MVP for the Flyers so far this season. You know what? I'm going to go with Vigneault. I, I just think the coaching change has ignited them, um, and they just have a different sense about them. Like when they fall down, I don't think they're going to fall down for a week. You know, have a couple bad games and they bounce back. I think the coach has changed a lot about the Flyers. I know they have, you know, they have a few new players, but 
I think the coach and, and the culture there is the biggest difference. Will the Flyers make a move before the trade deadline, February 24th? I believe they will. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath on something of significance, but I, I think anytime this I believe this for all sports, but like anytime your, your team has a chance to make the playoffs, especially in a sport like the NHL where you get in, I mean, you could do some damage just by the nature of the sport, then you should do it. And, and I, I, that doesn't mean be stupid about it and trade away your top prospect for you know a rental. But, yeah, I, I think the Flyers if typically adhere to that too. If we can... If we can try and we can push ourselves forward, it's worth it. I, yeah, I'd be surprised if they just sat in their hands. How many wins do you expect from the Phils this year? It's a good question. Um, as I sit here now, 86, 87, uh, they're going to be better. Um, I, I think I like the DD move for the one-year deal. I, I like Zach Wheeler. I don't love Zach Wheeler, but I like him. and He's certainly an improvement from what they had in, in the rotation, but they did leave a lot of areas short, and they left a lot of areas to chance uh, with with what they didn't do in the offseason for whatever reason. And I, I think we all can kind of read between the lines that they don't want to pay the luxury tax. But that they had opportunity to add to this team more. They haven't done it. I, I think they have better depth. I think they have a better team. George Roddy's a good manager. If, if they get some luck, they'll be right there at the end um, legitimately for a wild card spot. Unlike the last two years where you kind of sense in the middle in the middle or beginning of September that it was they just didn't have enough. I, I think this year they'll, they'll be much closer to it goes right down to the last week and, and we'll see if they get some breaks and if, if some guys bounce back. But I look at their team as good, improved, but they're not quite at the level of the top teams in the National League. The over-under for wins for the Phils this year was 85 and a half, so it sounds like you're taking the over on that one. But it's right there. Yeah, it, it, it's a good over-under. It, it's it's kind of right there. Okay. In as few words as possible, why did Gabe Kabler need to go? Uh, well, because the owner didn't want him here anymore. Uh, and I think to expand on that, I'll just say that the Phillies needed someone to blame because they spent, in less you know, before this offseason, so in like the last two before this one, they spent $700 million of, of John Middleton's money to field a 500 team. And when you do that, someone has to answer the questions. And someone has to be blamed for it. They, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to run a team, but that's, that's really the way sports work, right? Like, why did this happen? And John Middleton really believes in Matt Klentak, I, I think, too much. And I think when you look at someone had to be at fault for this. So the Phillies chose to believe, and we'll find out if they're right, that their issues were more of the management of the roster than the roster itself. We're going to find out. And I, I think Girardi is an upgrade. I was a big Gabe Kapler fan, but I, I think Girardi is an upgrade. He's a, he's a very accomplished manager. And I think he will help push it forward. But, you know, if they get better health and they only win about 85 games with a better manager, I, I think it's going to be it'll be pretty clear that it's not the manager now that we have a new one. It's, it's probably the team isn't good enough. It's not It's not deep enough. It's not talented enough. So, yeah, I think someone had to be blamed, and the Phillies and, and their owner decided to blame the manager for, you know, spending a lot of money to be a mediocre team. What can we expect from Joe Girardi? Any major managerial changes for the Phillies in terms of style? Well, a, or? a couple of things. Yeah, I think that he'll he'll do things a little bit more traditionally than Gabe. Gabe pushed the envelope in terms of uh, playing players in different positions 
and, and his bullpen management was very kind of day-to-day and no one had a set role. I, I think Joe leans towards the new school. Gabe was like so far in the new school that, that it was off-putting to a lot of people. But, but Joe will do some things more traditionally. As far as day-to-day, and I have a perspective on this because for a, a period I, I covered Major League Baseball for uh, New Jersey Advanced Media, so I used to cover a lot of Yankees games during Girardi's tenure there. So not that I know him, but I, you know, I, I covered games and I, I got to talk to him before and after games and watch a lot of games that he managed over the years. He's very intense. You know, he's come off as, as fun and gregarious, uh, you know, since he got hired, which most guys do because it's the offseason. But it, it will be different. Like, people got upset about Gabe's positivity uh, in post-game press conferences. If the Phillies are struggling this year, expect a lot of grunts and one-word answers and kind of snippiness from Joe, not to the fans, but to the media. So it'll be a different kind of demeanor from the Phillies, because Joe Girardi is very intense, um, which I, I don't think is a bad thing, but he's, he's very intense, good manager, but he's certainly a different personality than Gabe Kaplan. All right, and what do you think of D'Angelo Russell in a Sixers uniform? Is that laughable? It's not laughable, but I, I'm... I don't think it's going to happen. I, I am not opposed to trading anyone uh, in any sport for anybody. It makes your team better. But like the idea of Ben for D'Angelo, I don't, I don't like the deal. Like I, if I'm trading Ben Simmons, I want something that makes that's better or at least is equal. And I, I mean, Russell's maybe a better fit because he's a shooter, but I don't think he's that great of a player. I wouldn't do it, and and I, I find it hard to believe the Sixers would, would trade Ben Simmons for D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Ben's ceiling is just way higher, even though, again, Russell may be a better fit because of his shooting. But last question for you, what Philadelphia sports team will win a championship next? I would say the Eagles. Um, I'm not going to say I I have, like, full belief that any of these teams are going to win the next couple years. I I think that, I mean, it's not that it's impossible, but it's not like I, I feel it's coming next year. The Sixers, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're going to win with this group, and I don't know if Joel and Ben can win together. They don't, they don't fit. They're, they're excellent players, but they don't fit. The Phillies, I am worried about, about where they're going with Matt Quintac. And, and as far as the Eagles, it's like the NFL, it's set up to where you have a good year, you get home field, boom, you're back in the Super Bowl. So I think by the nature of, I believe in Doug, he's shown he can win a Super Bowl as a head coach, and uh, the nature of the NFL, I'll go the Eagles. All right, thank you very much, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on, uh, Joe. If you if you want to hear Joe on the radio, like I said, Tuesday to Thursday, six to ten p.m. on ninety four WIP. And Joe, you also have a, a podcast called the Art of the Take Pod. The Art of the Take Pod. Yes, listen if you uh, if you like talking about uh, the best and uh, most ridiculous takes on sports and every other thing. Uh, it's a fun podcast when we kind of break down the art of creating your take on whatever awesome well thank you very very much for coming on the bro love cast we appreciate you and we're big fans so keep killing it on the radio i appreciate that anytime and good luck with your podcast thank you very much take care baby i'm so glad you're here Baby, I've got 
something to say, my dear, baby. Yeah. So glad you're mine. Oh, 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 baby. Why did it take so long? Oh, baby. Only made my love grow strong.
Cause I'm gonna miss you 